everybody. Welcome to Friends with Employee Benefits. We have another great episode today, and that is with Karen Casey, who's head of people and culture at Canada Pet Foods. You're going to hear a lively discussion about quote unquote bad apples in the workplace. It's it's a, a very difficult part of every business owners and HR leader's job to um, to effectively deal, hopefully effectively deal with underperforming employees. It's such an important task, such an important part of our jobs, and uh, I think you're going to hear a lot of great ideas in terms of uh, what to do in these situations that happen to virtually all of us. So enjoy the podcast and then share it with your friends. All right, Karen, being in the HR or the people profession, I'm sure there's no doubt that you've had to deal at some point in your career with your share of what I'll call people problems. What's your general position or instinct when it, when it comes to someone who isn't meeting their, uh, their performance expectations? I mean, can bad performance be corrected or does a manager need to cut bait and replace quickly? What are your general thoughts and ideas about that? There's a lot of questions in that one question. (laughs) What I always have said to managers when they've come to me with an employee problem issue, performance related, is really two things. And if I go back really early in my career, training supervisors in a manufacturing organization, we had a lot of discussion around employee performance. So nobody comes to the threshold of a door every day, and that's when we were in person every day, to screw up, to make a mistake. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to come to work and do a really bad job. That should always probably be our starting point. And then the second question is, I've evolved through my career, but I ask a lot, is what could you have done better as a manager? There's usually a root cause as to why someone is performing poorly. It could be we placed a person in the wrong job. A lot of times what we have a tendency of doing, especially as somebody who's excelled at a role internally, we take the best machine operator or the best individual contributor and said that, you know, then they can be promoted to the next level when in fact they're not equipped to do the job or we haven't given them the tools to do their job. Mm. And the second piece that we always lose sight of is that, while we want people you know, to come and bring their whole selves to work is that a lot of people are bringing up or they're on a, unpacking a lot when they come to work that's both professional and personal. So we, you have to really peel away the layers of the onion to understand why is a person performing badly? So it starts with, all right, as a manager, what could I have done differently? Or what could I be doing better to help fill the gaps? open communication and very transparent communications around expectations and what's to be delivered. And then to to really get at, is there anything else going on that is either a technical functional piece or something that's getting in the way of somebody performing? So to answer that first question that you said, do you just cut bait? Unless it's an egregious violation of a company policy or that it's a multi hundred thousand dollar mistake that you just can't turn back. I do. I really, truly never advocate to terminate somebody immediately, especially if it, if it is a performance based conversation or decision. There's a lot more that goes into it than just a bad day at work. 
I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, taking some, uh, being sort of humble enough to think that, well, geez, maybe there's something that I'm doing as a leader that we're doing as an organization that's contributing to this bad performance is, uh, that's probably not a lot of people's instinct to, to think that way. And I think it's such a great, great suggestion and, um, sort of getting to the root cause takes a lot of, um, it takes some uh, some soul searching, I think, as a as a leader. It, it, yeah, it, it does. One of the things that we've done currently with my organization is we've launched a new leadership program that talks a lot about ownership. And if somebody has made a mistake on your team, or if somebody is not performing, or some project took a left turn and it was supposed to take a right, ultimately we want our, our leaders and anybody across the organization to say, what could I have done differently? And then go start peeling away the layers of the onion. Because at the end of the day, as a leader, and especially as a leader of people, we're, we're responsible for not only what gets done, but how it gets done. I, I Yes. And I also, when you mentioned sort of, you know, we will, we will move folks from one seat on the bus, if you will, to another. And uh, it's interesting that that might tie back to a to a performance issue that that maybe that was not the right move to make and or we didn't we didn't give that person the right tools and training to be successful at this different role that, that we've put them in. So I think that those are really great points to make. The bottom line is, unless it's some some really egregious behavioral thing, you know, immediately move to termination and you want to go to, you want to spend some time on performance improvement, but how much time is that? Like how much time do we spend on performance improvement until we say, okay, this is not working. Everything in HR and dealing with people always has the caveat of it depends. Mm. I would say that to see any sort of remote behavioral change, it's going to be a minimum of, of 60 days. And that is only going to start turning the needle oh so slightly to say, I've had the conversation with the individual, I've outlined new expectations for the person. And now I'm going to start meeting with that person on a regular cadence to understand, are they getting the tone of the conversation? And are they beginning to, to embrace the feedback? To see real behavioral change, that takes three, four, five months to be able to see that. Now, some people might say, I don't have three, four, five months to wait. I have a single point of failure and this person is not performing. At that point, if a person's not embracing the feedback, because initially you have to deliver that transparent and open feedback to say, here's my expectations. Here's what I need you to do. Here's where you're performing. There's a big gap here. I need you to fill that gap. You can begin to see if somebody's going to embrace that feedback in a, in a two-month time frame easily. Now, are you going to see huge change in two months? I haven't seen it. But you will begin to see if somebody's truly embracing the feedback. Yeah. And when you say embracing the feedback, is that another way of saying that they're coachable? That they're coachable, that they're willing, exactly. Now, if they're not coachable, and I think there's a, a sports saying out there, and I will probably not do it justice, but something along the lines of a coach would take anybody who's coachable and willing to learn versus the best player on the field who's not willing to be coachable. Mm -hmm. 
those individuals, those that choose not to be coachable, no matter how much training, development, feedback, transparent conversations, a word that we use a lot at my company is courageous conversations. If you're not, if someone's not willing to embrace them and deflects, doesn't take ownership of, of you know, missed opportunities, that is where the conversation then usually pivots to. If you're not embracing this conversation, if this is a place you don't want to be, here's the expectations. Let's help move you to you know a place where you might want to be, either another department, another function, or another company. And we will have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And a manager, therefore, could run the risk of not recognizing that someone's just not um, uh, accepting the feedback, that someone is not willing to, to, to be coached in that situation and maybe hang on too long too. So you don't want to go, you don't want to cut the process too short, but it's also, you don't want to let it go on too long. If that's right. It's just not coachable. That's right. And that, that happens over a series of conversations. That's what goes back to the actual manager and the level of responsibility that a manager has is significantly. They have their day-to-day job, which is the technical job. That's only half of their job. The other 50% of their job is it, as a leader of people is coaching, developing, having good conversations, setting expectations, holding people accountable. And a lot of people miss that even when they are either looking up and say, I want to be a manager someday. Or once you're in that seat to recognize there's a lot more to this job that I didn't see when I was sitting in in that individual contributor seat. Because you do invest a significant amount of time growing and developing your people. And a lot of people miss that. And as as a leader, and particularly as a new leader, don't you have to invest the time in developing yourself too? I I recently was in a seminar where that was one of the key messages. Like, okay, before you're going to be effective at at developing and coaching your, your, your people, you need to actually, for, it's like the, if, if there's low uh, pressure in the, in the uh, airplane cabin, you've got to put the mask over your own face before you help the person next to you. That's right. Which is knowing yourself. One of the things that we just started to do in the past year is all of our people leaders, we've put them through uh, the MBTI and then we use a tool uh, called Um, type talk so people can understand each other's work profile and how it shows up and how to best interact with them Mm -hmm. either before going into a meeting or into a team setting and we're just really starting to embrace it but we introduced it about a year ago yeah let's get back to to performance problems and and maybe we kind of have to step back and clarify what a what a performance problem is um and I, I don't want to oversimplify it because performance issues, they're not always obvious to everyone. And in, in other words, if someone's performing well at the core function of their job, like, you know, for instance, maybe they're in a sales position or a business development position and they're just knocking out of the park consistently. They're hitting or exceeding their established sales goals, but perhaps they're not uh, embracing the, the, the office or company culture or they're not consistently being a good teammate internally or you know they're kind of leaving a path of destruction behind them with every with every sale that they make maybe they're not uh, taking the time to update the internal systems their CRM system uh, maybe they're over promising 
to customers and, and then handing it off to a service team that just, you know, can't meet those promises. There could be a number of sort of soft performance reasons, maybe we call them, um, right? Isn't, isn't it still a performance issue? You could have somebody hitting their core goals and competencies, but there's still a performance issue, or am I wrong? What, am I right about that? You are absolutely correct about that. I like to classify it as what you do as part of your job and how you do your job. We call it the what and the how. Mm. So to your point of the salesperson, they could be hitting their quotas. They could be hitting it out of the park. Customers might even love them. Yet for them to be able to achieve their results, they still need to work with their internal constituents, but they've alienated them with behavior. So they're, they, they embrace the competency of drive for results, but to your point, they leave a path of destruction behind them. And, or, you know, what I used to classify it, they left a wake of dead people in their path mm. because they certainly hit it out of the park or they certainly achieved their goals, but they achieved it at all costs. Mm-hmm. And while the yes, they're delivering on a business objective, they are not delivering on the, potentially the core values of your company or ultimately how they're embracing and working and collaborating with their colleagues to ultimately achieve the end result. Because they might do that for a few times and hit it out of the park, but they're gonna build themselves that reputation over time that no one's gonna be willing to help them because they have stepped over lots of people to get to where they were to be successful. Is it safe to say then, Karen, that um, the how is just as important as the what? I can tell you it's always been very equally as important for me. It's always that I work for an organization that our annual objectives are built around the what and the how that your object, you have to have three on the what and two on the how, and you're rated equally on them. It's critical of how you show up every day. That's not every culture. I mean, I've consulted or been in organizations where what you do is, is ultimately the, the, the measure of success. Yet, and I've been in other organizations, including the one I'm in now, or you know, prior, you know, when I was with Gillette and Procter and Gamble, what you what you did and how you did it were equally as important. That's where those behavioral competencies come into play. And if you have a true north and you truly live by it, people begin to embrace it and then call out other people of that behavior. Or that individual who is hitting it out of the park isn't going to last long. And that might not be something somebody that's exited over a formal performance management process. They're exited because they opt out, because they don't fit in, because mm. they're just not playing by the rules of engagement. And it's important then if, if you want a culture and are trying to establish a culture where the how does matter, and um, I find it hard personally to think of an instance where it wouldn't, but to your point, maybe some organizations are just so results oriented that, that the how does, but, but you have to set that expectation. Expectations matter. So isn't it important as leaders to make it very clear to everybody that there are two parts of that performance equation and that they are equally important? Absolutely. It has to be embedded. I I, I think, I've said it before, I call it a, a true north. What, what are you aiming for? Yeah. What does your culture support? What does the organization value? And 
if I even back up to the interview process, that can have a correlation to the performance process. The question I get all the time is, what is your culture? And I talk a lot about our values and how we show up individuals across the organization. And if that doesn't play out when they show up in the first 30, 60, 90 days, they're going to check out. I think there's some statistic out there that talks about people make a decision to stay or go within the first 90 days of employment. That doesn't mean they leave your company, but they've made a decision. I either have to stick it out for a year so it looks good on my resume, or I need to you know, just manage my way through this until maybe I even get another boss. Because how you bring an individual into the organization, how you onboard them, has a direct correlation to how they show up every day. Right. So as leaders, if we're not um, walking the talk, so to speak, okay, if we're not living up to the promises that we made during the hiring and interviewing process, that's going to cause a problem. It's also true that if we don't hold everyone accountable to those same values, that that's going to create that that's that would create a larger morale problem within the workforce. Is that right? That is correct. You're going to experience the turnover you don't want to experience because other individuals are going to choose to opt out because you're allowing someone to remain in because you're not taking care of the performance issue. And that could be perform bad performance. So somebody else has to pick up the slack. So now they have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week to be able to to do their job and somebody else's Mm -hmm. or they're now in a toxic work environment and they don't want to be there. So if a, if a manager, an employee, or employer doesn't take care of it, it has longer-term ramifications beyond that one person. Mm. And what I've seen is having hard conversations is hard. Having performance-based conversations aren't easy. And most people sugarcoat it. Mm. And my, my counsel to everybody, even to my own, own team when they're, they're, they're coaching or when in, in HR, for example, a lot of what we do isn't necessarily always quantitative. There's a qualitative portion to it, but we always have data of some sort. Data can come in the form of observations. Data can come in the forms of you have a performance, you have an objective, here's what was accomplished, Here here's what wasn't. It can come in the uh, form of sales volume, you know, it can be actually quantitative. But if you have facts, you actually have the backup. I always say, let the data do the talking and you become the voiceover. So now you've removed emotion and the hard part of that conversation because you're speaking in indisputable facts. I saw you do. In this meeting, this is what happened. You didn't meet your quota because... So you've got real content to be able to have a viable conversation that's based in facts and not in some esoteric what if situation or I believe. It really comes down to the messages and you can't dispute facts. Yeah, but a facts could be, I think what you're saying though is a a fact can be an observation that you made in a moment Uh, So so it might not be necessarily a a measurable, quote unquote, data fact, but this actually happened. I saw it happened. And 
do you, don't you have to have that conversation like right away? Immediately. You know, we, we're all coming off of the world of living like with this virtually. And I've been in many meetings over the course of the last two years that are virtually. And the downside of virtual is you can't always see everybody's behavior around a conference room table. Mm. And sometimes screens are on and screens are off. But in this one particular meeting, probably about a year and a half ago, everyone's screen was on and it was a meeting for which I was invited to that I didn't play a part. It was more for my own learning, but I always like to watch the interactions across people. And I saw the reaction of somebody and it was less than positive. Hmm. So I just took note of it and I ended up calling, I mean, wasn't my direct report, but it was, you know, a colleague. And I called this person afterwards and I said, can I give you some feedback? And she said, yeah. And I, and I gave her the example that I saw. And she goes, you picked up on that? <laughs> and I did. So, you know, I go, so intentional or unintentional, here's how it was perceived yeah. by somebody who wasn't, didn't even have the business content, you know, context of the meeting. And it, it, it was rooted in, hey, can I give you some feedback? Take it or leave it. You know, pretty, you know, um, low barrier to, to, to any type of controversy, but she could have said, no, I could care less what you think, but she was open to it. And, and I think one, it was the approach and say, here's what I observed. And she took it and, you know, was appreciative of it, but it's those real time immediate pieces. Otherwise it loses its impact, but that's where so many managers, colleagues struggle with giving feedback. Yeah, across yeah. all levels and and the uh, those facts uh, maybe you didn't sometimes you don't see it firsthand as a leader but a a fact in this case or the data in this case could be feedback that, that you're getting from somebody else like you know so they might be uncomfortable going directly to the to the person who engaged in the bad behavior yeah. they might report it though to you as their manager um and, and what's appropriate then? Do you say, hey, don't talk to me about it? Like, what do you do then? Oh, it depends on what it is. It goes yeah. back to there's no clear cut answer. I would say it depends if it's, you know, a behavior that makes somebody feel uncomfortable and they don't necessarily want to have that conversation. Okay. Mm -hmm. So get, you know, HR involved. But I always direct each other to have that conversation back with each other, either the yeah. manager to go back to the employee or two employees to have that conversation. It's much better than having HR fly in over the top because as soon as I show up on a screen or if I show up in a call, let's face it, it, it people just go, oh, why is she here? Yeah, you know, they get defensive. Yeah, there, there's an opportunity to to grow a relationship versus mm. make a relationship deteriorate. It could be tough though. If, if, if one per, if the person who has feedback to give is a more junior, junior. yes, exper less experienced. Uh, right. And, and yeah. they had a bad experience with someone who's more senior and that could be tough. And then I would agree with you there. I mean, in that case, I mean, if you're having problems with somebody who's more senior to you that, you know, you're not in their direct direct report, then you might want to engage with your manager to have those conversations. I, I would agree with that because that's really hard mm -hmm. and could potentially have 
you know, not knowing the organization and could have some ramifications downstream. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily encourage that upward feedback if, if I'm not in a direct report type of relationship. Yeah. Karen, it, uh, like when it comes to coaching, is it more difficult to coach those softer skills or the how or the behavior than the, than the core, uh, than the core performance? So again, in the instance of a salesperson, you know, is it harder to coach the fact that they're leaving this, you know, a path of destruction than it is, Hey, you're not hitting your numbers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you think through a technical functional skill set, you're learning skills, you're learning how to sell, you're learning how to procure equipment, you're learning, you know, how to give a performance-based conversation. So you're learning technical functional skills. And as long as you have an acumen to learn, that you can learn most any skill. When you're talking about behaviors, you're talking about deep-rooted mm -hmm. traits that you have learned over the course of your lifetime that take a really long time to unravel and really take an individual's desire to change. So one, they've got to recognize it's a trait that it's not going to serve me well in the future, here or somewhere else. And I don't like this behavior. So they held a mirror test and not like what they see and are willing to invest a huge amount of time into changing that core behavior. So it's much easier. I would rather, quite frankly, have a performance issue that somebody's not selling or that that's the easiest one because it's quantifiable or they're not doing some technical piece of their job because we can put a training plan together. We could figure out, we can, we can figure out what's the gap and I'd begin to address it that way. When it's true behavioral change, there's three, those three big components, you know, first they have to embrace it. Mm -hmm. You know, they have to accept it and they've got to be willing to, to do the work. Yeah. And the improvement is hard, in my opinion, harder to measure. It's harder to measure. I mean, you, you start getting feedback like, oh, I, you know, I noticed that Joe is acting different. Or I noticed that, you know, Sue, Susie is a lot more engaged in meetings lately. So you, you, you pick up on those qualifiable observations, uh, but they need to be sustained over time. And that requires a good manager to coach to have really good, courageous conversations, to encourage, to develop, and it requires the employee to say, I'm willing to change. Yeah, Karen, so let's say we, you know, we, we, we go through this process and we, we don't give up too quickly. We go through the coaching and we, we give the benefit of the doubt and we try and we try, but for whatever reason, we finally come to the conclusion, this is not going to get better. So it is time to separate. Um, you know, isn't it really important that, that managers and leaders, when they're letting someone go, that they they continue to, to walk the talk through the termination process? In other words, you know, if you've got a, a, an organization with a culture of respect and caring and compassion, that you need to, to kind of see that through or play that through to the very last moment. Is that right? 
The conversation I have with my managers before we go into any termination, and let's face it, we all have done terminations in this HR world, mm-hmm. is I lead with the premise of dignity and respect. That no matter whether it's in this egregious set of behaviors or it is a series of conversations in two, three, four, five months of conversations that have led us to this point. The conversation one is not easy. And what I always say, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. The day a termination gets easy is the day I should no longer be doing this job. Because at the end of the day, this is someone's livelihood. They have to go home to a husband, a wife, a spouse, a child and say, I lost my job today. That is not an easy conversation. It's equally as hard to have that conversation as a manager to say, this is not working out. And as long as you can speak, again, going back to facts, leading with compassion, and putting some things in place that demonstrate to the individual that you are treating them with dignity and respect, like not doing it in a public setting. For example, doing it in a private conference room, and if you have to go back and retrieve their personal belongings after hours so they don't have to do it in front of everybody. So that they can walk with their head held high and they can view it as a blip on their radar screen and be able to to pick up the pieces and move forward. Mm-hmm. I always kind of think if as a as a leader or an HR leader, if you don't lose some sleep over those conversations, if they're not hard for you, then, you know, <laughs> you got to wonder if there's a heart in there at all. I lose sleep, I can tell you, over every single one, and I have a pit in my stomach before I go into every single one. And it's not because I don't do, I think I do a decent job at exiting employees. It's hard. And if it's not hard to, like you said, either you've done it way too much or um, you're in the wrong leadership chair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen, not everyone in the, in an organization is going to have experienced or observed the the bad performance or bad behavior that led to a termination. So some of the terminated employees' coworkers might be really surprised and unhappy and upset about it. Um, how do we as leaders deal with that fallout? Again, it goes back to transparent conversations. Now you can't, and I would never encourage a manager to share a reason for termination, but there is a moment of time that communication is critical. So pulling teams together to say, Tommy is no longer with the company. You know, if you wanna have an individual conversation with me at any time in the future, I'm happy to do it. Please recognize that, you know, we followed you know, all the company protocols or that we, you know, we, we did everything that we could to be able to make this successful um, transition for Tommy, Susie, whatever the name, um, yet recognize I can't share, nor if, you, nor if any of you were leaving the organization, I wouldn't share with anybody else. So I want to be able to maintain person you know, personal confidentiality, uh, yet just now we'll come together, redeploy resources and you know, whatever we need to do to, to move the department function forward, you know, fill in the blanks. But yeah, it, it goes back to no matter what the talking points are, you've got to communicate. Mm-hmm. People, so you can't just exit someone and then the next day they show up and that chair is empty and the chair is empty and the chair is empty and the chair is empty. You have to be able to communicate 
the the what you know the why behind the what yeah yeah and do you have to let some people be upset and vent a little bit because you do have to bite your tongue you can't you know yeah. throw the terminated employee out under the bus and and be disrespectful in that way sometimes it might be just a matter of letting someone kind of get it out and and vent a little bit yeah and have an open and not transparent conversation within the realm of you know let's not go too far here yeah yeah uh, Karen, what have we missed? What else did you want to talk about uh, before we wrap this up? You know, I think I touched upon it. I think when it comes to terminations or performance, as a company, you, you have to have a true north. You have to be able to say, who, who are we as an organization? What do we value? How do we treat people? I've been in a fair amount of companies in, in my tenure, whether it be, you know, large scale CPG or consulting with other companies or you know, with, you know, I have to put a plug in the best pet food on, on the market right now, Canada. Um, we, we have a, a creed, a motto that we're a company hungry for goodness. And how that goodness then shows up from our pet food all the way through to who we are as an organization is critical. And if we don't live that motto, it's just words on a piece of paper. And then that ultimately reflects itself in engagement, morale, how your culture shows up, mm -hmm. involvement, which might not have a hard number correlation to the bottom line. Much of what we do in HR doesn't have a hard correlation to the bottom line, but all of those things have a, have a correlation to how we perform as an organization. The more engaged uh, population you have, the harder people work, they want to, you know, they'll, they'll go above and beyond for you every single time. Mm -hmm. And that goes to how you treat people. Yeah. If they know you care. If you know you care yeah. and, the, and they're also watching how you treated somebody. If I'm not the one that's being exited, but I'm watching how someone else was exited. That's going to make me feel good or bad about the company I work for. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. I think that's a great uh, way to end this. However, you can't go just yet. I need like two more minutes of your time, Karen, if you don't mind, because we want to get to know you a little bit better. So I want to ask five or six rapid fire questions. Oh God. Um, you ready? You ready for that? I'm ready. Okay. I think. <laughs> it's nothing too difficult. Drink of choice in the morning. Coffee. Favorite food. Pizza. Last thing you watched on TV. Good morning, America. Very first job. Internship or full time? Uh, let's say full time. Recruiter. What about is it? What about when you were a kid, uh, like during the summer, your first summer job? What did you do? What was your first summer job? Before, under the age of sixteen, babysitting. Sixteen, retail associate at Bradley's. Bradley's. Wow. That's, <laughs> I'm dating. That's, that's a, I remember Bradley's. All right, Karen. This was a this was a lot of fun. Oh, I have one more question. At one sure. digital. This year, our sort of underlying theme is all in. We're all wanting to be all in. So uh, for you, uh, how do you plan to be all in professionally or personally this year? It will address both being more present all the time. Mm. So if I'm at work, I'm present at work. And if I'm at home, I'm present at home. Yeah. 
it's not easy, I know, but uh, that's a great answer. Karen, thank you so much. I, I really did enjoy this conversation. I hope you did too. Okay. Uh, we I did, were so, thank you. Yeah, good, great. And I want to thank everyone who's listening. Um, we do this for the listeners and we so appreciate the support. So thanks for tuning in. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. Mm-hmm.